We want to say thank you for listening. So our sponsors have given some great deals in this episode. Check these out. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Access. Because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. And SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Access PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproofed handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Access PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircraft worldwide. I have personally used the Access system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at access.com. That's A-X-N-E-S.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. And SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With a certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Up next, we get to hear from the host of our podcast, and I'm the one that gets to interview him. When we were outlining what we were going to talk about in this episode, we discovered that this particular case was such a big one that we didn't have time to talk about the others that we thought we would include in the episode. For 99 episodes, we've listened to extremely humble men and women share their stories. 
We've heard multiple people tell wild rescue stories and then say, it was just another day on the job. I did what I was trained to do. We've heard many people say, my awards are in the bin in the basement. I often wonder what the interview would be like if the spouse or a family member was being interviewed alongside those telling their story. In this episode, that is what we get. Me as the spouse sitting alongside my husband as he tells about his case on the galaxy. As we were in the garage going through his Coast Guard bin, Jason was handing me pictures, magazines, awards, and articles to look at. Some I've seen, and most I hadn't. As someone who's not in a rescue role, I'm fascinated and impressed by many of the items that are stored in the bins in our garage. For example, one of the items that Jason handed to me was a letter that he received from President George W. Bush. You know, because that's common. The crew in this case earned the Association of Naval Aviation Outstanding Achievement Award and the Naval Helicopter Association Air Crew of the Year Award. I've heard my husband many times throughout the years say that he had an amazing crew and it was all of them working together that saved the lives of so many that day. This case happened in Kodiak, Alaska. Jason received letters of recognition from the governor of Alaska, the Alaska legislature, as well as a letter from a senator in our home state of Massachusetts. And as I just said, President Bush as well. Letters were coming in for my amazingly humble husband. Jason earned the USO's Coast Guardsman of the Year Award The USO chooses only one person per year from each branch of service, and Jason was chosen in 2003. I have a 78-year-old great-uncle who tells everyone that Jason is a lifeguard. It's kind of a joke at this point in our family because my uncle truly just doesn't understand the difference between a lifeguard and a rescue swimmer. But after I read these awards and saw Jason... In Coast Guard Magazine, Soundings Magazine, and Reader's Digest, and I've seen him on the History Channel's Alaska's Dangerous Territory, I think it's safe to say that there is a massive difference between a lifeguard and a rescue swimmer. Enjoy our episode. It's a great one. I might be biased, but it's amazing. With United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500, Mr. Jason Quinn. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Welcome to The Real Rescue Podcast. Most of you know me as Quinny's wife or Mrs. Quinn, but my name is Melissa Quinn and I am wife of rescue swimmer number 500, Jason Quinn. And I have the privilege today of being your host for episode number 100, where my husband, Jason Quinn, is going to talk about 
the big rescue that earned him the Distinguished Flying Cross. Welcome to the show, Jason. <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> That's funny. You know what? I, I appreciate you doing this with me. I really do. Um, there have been some people that have asked about like, oh, hey, how come we don't talk about some of your stories? And and this was my biggest case that I've had to date. And I'm okay with that because it was a pretty gnarly case. And I'm, I'm excited to uh, to share it. For the record, your listeners have had to wait 100 episodes where I had to wait <laughs> five, six, seven years to hear this story, even yeah. probably even longer. And today I'm probably going to hear things for the first time as well. I, that is a very good possibility. <laughs> <laughs> so first I apologize, honey. My yeah. bad. <laughs> it's okay. I understand. Usually at this point in the episodes, we ask the guest to tell a little bit about him or herself, but... We know a lot about you, so I'm going to dive right in and read your award. Cool. And as I was looking over your award, one of the things I asked was, are they always this long? And you said, not usually. So this is a pretty, pretty long one, but I'll do my best to impress you. All right. Citation to accompany the award of the Distinguished Flying Cross to Jason P. Quinn, Aviation Survival Technician, Third Class, United States Coast Guard. Petty Officer Quinn is cited for extraordinary achievement while participating in aerial flight as the rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard HH-60, Helicopter 6021, on 20 October 2002. The crew from Cold Bay, Alaska, responded to the distress call from an explosion on board the 180-foot fishing vessel Galaxy with 26 people on board, located 35 miles south of St. Paul Island. Arriving on scene, the crew discovered people still aboard the blazing ship. With winds over 25 knots pushing 20-foot seas, compounded by flames and dense smoke from the burning vessel that was rolling 30 degrees to each side, the air crew was unable to safely hoist directly from the vessel. With selfless regard for his personal safety, Petty Officer Quinn volunteered to enter the water in an area full of debris, fuel, and flames shooting out of the burning hole to recover the mariners. To position himself for the recoveries, he swam to within 10 feet of the massive screws that were pitching completely out of the water and slamming back into the sea. Directing the first survivor to jump in the water, he was in position to quickly place him in the rescue basket. With the first survivor recovered, Petty Officer Quinn was hoisted and redeployed to the swiftly drifting galaxy. Back in position again, Precariously close to the screws and in the debris field, he directed the second mariner into the water. Within moments, he had the survivor in the basket and on his way up to the helicopter. While readying the third survivor for hoisting, a massive wave submerged both of them underwater, allowing the steel hoist cable to wrap around the survivor. Petty Officer Quinn quickly unhooked the basket from the hoist hook, preventing severe injury to the survivor, and quickly regained control of the situation. 
Once the three survivors from the stern were recovered, helicopter 6021 moved to the bow to recover the other two survivors. Again, at great personal risk and nearing exhaustion, he entered the water near the bow, this time facing the gigantic anchor rising out of the water with the swells. Using all of his remaining strength to stay away from the heaving bow, he successfully recovered the last two survivors. Petty Officer Quinn's actions, aeronautical skill, and valor were instrumental in saving the lives of five mariners. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended and are in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Yeah, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and as I'm reading that, I'm so thankful it's nothing that I was um, had to watch live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting day. Well sure. done. Thank you, love. Thank you. Um, I, I got to give credit, mad credit right now to my entire mm-hmm. crew that was on board. Uh, my pilot command, Melissa Rivera, uh, co-pilot Kendall Guerin, and my hoist operator, Mike Simone. Um, we actually deployed, uh, after that as well. And we had flown together on and off. I mean, at that point I had been Kodiak for a little while, a couple of years. Um, and we had, we had flown like a lot of training flights together, you know, either together, together as a full group, or, uh, we had gone to, you know, separately. Like I had flown with Melissa at one point, then I flew with Kendall at one point, then I flew with Mike at one point. Uh, Mike and I were good friends on the hangar deck, you know, like just hanging out. So, I mean... I had an amazing crew, like mm-hmm. really a good crew. And I'm going to give Will Milan a hard time right now because I had two women pilots and then Mike and I and Will, because I was on deployment with Will at the time in Cole Bay, which I'll get into that in a sec. But he was like, before we're getting ready to leave, he went up to, uh, one, I don't know if it was one of the officers or what it was, but he's like, yeah, we heard it was an all women's crew and the only person we could pick was Quinny. <laughs> I was like, you're a dick. That sounds like Will. <laughs> it totally does, right? And Will, love the guy. But, you know, it's, it's funny to think, you know, we're, one, and again, thank you, babe, for doing this with me. This is episode 100. And at the same time, that case was, we're just about 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like this, this October, October 20th will be 20 years that that case happened. That's that's a long time ago, and I I vividly remember that day, and and what everything went down. So I'm I'm looking forward to kind of recapping and reliving, and then I'll, you know, I'm gonna debrief a little bit of it as well with this. So if anybody else has something similar to that case, you know, they can take what I went through and what I've learned to uh, to the next time. So. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Let's dive into it. All right, here we go. October. So a couple things about this case in particular. Um, So the Coast Guard up in uh, Kodiak, Alaska, because that's where we're based out of, we actually deploy, depending on the crab season, out in either Cold Bay, which is out on the panhandle of going out to Alaska, or St. Paul Island. This in particular one is in Cold Bay. And we'd go 24 hours on, 24 hours off. And it just so happened... This case was a very interesting time frame, and I was off going at the time. Um, so during the day, so and I can't remember exactly what time we changed over. I want to say it was like three o'clock in the afternoon or five o'clock in the evening at dinner time, it was something like that. Uh, but we 
like we had gone on a day flight and we flew for like five hours and we went out and we're flying over. It, was, it wasn't a terrible day outside. The seas were kind of big. It was a little windy, you know, you're looking at probably 15 foot seas, you know, and the crab fishing boats are doing their thing. They're, they're all crabbing and they're, they're, they're balls to the wall. Um, but you know, again, we would go out, we'd fly over, see people wave at them as we're flying over. Just, Hey, reminder, we are here. Mm -hmm. We're close by, you know, if anything happens, we're already in the air. So we had a trainer flight every day. So, and then on the way back, you know, we, we do a little, uh, searching on the beach for like glass balls and, uh, other antlers and stuff that might be on the beach. So we're just, you know, helps hone your skills as you're searching for little <laughs> small things <laughs> on the beach. But we did, like I said, it was it was probably close to a four to five hour flight. And let's go four, like it's four hour flight. I mean, we did a bag of gas. So take off, cruise out. Um, when we got back, we had our daily maintenance to the aircraft. So when we pulled the aircraft into the hangar, um, both crews for swimmers, mechanics, you know, the night, the watch captains, everybody's there, is working on the aircraft and we're doing the standard inspection. I mean, we're deployed for two weeks, so you got to get your stuff done. Um, the pilots had gone down to the house to do their pilot thing, whether, you know, their debriefing, their changeover to the aircraft, any issues, what we saw, you know, they have all their plans and stuff and we're again, doing maintenance on the aircraft. We had panels that were removed from underneath because we were working on stuff, doing inspections. Will and I were working on whatever survival gear that we had for our inspection stuff. And I remember this very distinctly, like the door to the hangar flung open and bam! And, Bo and Melissa had walked in. She's like, we need the helicopter put back together. We just got a case. The offgoing crew is going to take it so we don't put time on the oncoming crew. So uh, that was me and my crew. Will and his crew, they were standing by. So we were kind of expecting this to be like, you know, not a big deal. And that we would fly out, turn around and come back. But they figured if we ended up flying an hour out and flying an hour back, that's two hours off the oncoming crew. So why not take the offgoing crew? Let's Right on, let's do I this. I was going to say, I'm sure you were all about it. Oh, I was totally all about <laughs> it. It was, yeah, I was excited. And I looked at Will and Will's like, dude, how fun. So here's what the report that came in was, we had a fire on a vessel. That's really all we had. And they were about two hours away. So we were doing like math, like two hours away, man, they'll have that thing put out before we even get halfway there. It's probably a galley fire. Some Was that know, common? I won't say common, but we've, you know, you hear it quite a, not even quite a bit. I don't want to say quite a bit. You hear it over the radio. You hear a SAR call come in that there's a fire on board and you're like, So oh. hearing that wasn't completely new. No. It, okay. Good call. Good question. Yeah, no, it was not. It was like, you would hear that from time to time. Like, oh, there's a fire on board. And then the, the crew get it under control and then you're done. Then they, they deal with it when yep. they come back into port. So we launch out. And one of the first things that I remember is as we took off, we always got communications with Kodiak uh, Lorraine Station or the um, Air Station Kodiak Communication Center. So I'm like, Coast Guard Air Station, this is 6021. We're in route. I need an updated lat long on the position of the Mayday call. 
break, you know, waiting, mm-hmm. waiting, waiting. Five minutes goes by. I don't hear anything. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. You know, they at least would respond. Air Station Kodiak, Air Station Kodiak, 6021. Looking for an updated position and uh, and what's going on with the vessel. Over. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It went like that for 20 minutes. I'm like, this is not good. So I let the pilots know. I'm like, hey, we're 20 minutes into our flight. They know we took off, but I don't have any communications. Mm-hmm. So they're flipping through some radios up front. And they're like, okay, try it now. Boop. Air Station Kodiak, Air Station Kodiak, 6021. We're en route. Can I get an updated position? Air Station Kodiak, or 6021, this is Air Station Kodiak. Roger, updated position is this. There are 26 people in the water. Oof. And I was like, I just got chills just thinking about that. <laughs> I remember hearing that number, 26 people in the water. And I was like, uh, I actually came back. I was like, Air Station Kodiak 6021, did you say 2626 people in the water? Is that is that confirmed? Roger, 6021, confirmed, 26 people in the water. I'm like, Roger, let me call you right back over. <laughs> and I got on the ICS and I'm like, hey guys, um... We get 26 people in the water. They're abandoned ship or abandoned ship. And there was a little bit of silence in the aircraft. And then we started having the discussion. Now we're an hour and a half from being on scene. So there was a lot of things that were going through the idea. Okay, what do we have in the aircraft that we need to get rid of? So in the back of the H-60 helicopter of the Coast Guard, we carry the rescue basket, a Stokes litter, uh, a dewatering pump, um, and then there's stuff on the SAR board and then there's troop seats and all this stuff that, that we can fold up and move. But we're thinking about how to maximize space in the back of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. And we're talking like, all right, when we get on scene, if there are this many people, we'll just chuck stuff out of the aircraft to make as much room as we can. We don't know how many good Samaritan vessels have heard the mayday if people are on their way. So one of the greatest things about Alaska is you have a lot of vessels that are in the area that respond mm-hmm. to this incident like they want to help they they're all brothers out there in the fishing community it's amazing to see so but um so we had this full discussion in the aircraft like okay here's our plan should we need more room so i was like holy cow question i do have a question and i apologize for those that will think this is a silly question um you're calling air station kodiak yes Who's calling them? How do they know 26 people are in the water? Good question. Look at this girl. Come on. Uh, So they have a radio on board and it's going through a repeater system out in the ocean. Okay. So somebody on the vessel was... Calling Mayday. Yeah. And had mentioned, we are abandoning ship. Yeah. We have 20... Or there are 26 people on board. We are abandoning ship. Because at that point, the radio started to fry out. With, due to the oh. fire. Now, we don't know this at this right. point. We just know the last communication was, this is our updated position. Yeah. We are abandoning ship. There are 26 people, or 26 people abandoning a ship. Now, that goes from the ship to St. Paul Island, which is our Loran station, and then the repeaters go all the way back to Kodiak, and it's all you know radio okay. transmissions. So that's how that comes through. Um, and if that's a little inaccurate out there, guys, I apologize. But I know, <laughs> yeah. to answer that question, they're radioing from the boat, and that's how they get. So, so now we're we're about forty five minutes away, give or take. We've had this full discussion about what we're going to do on scene, and now it's just kind of a waiting game. 
I mean, we got the pedal to the metal. We're, we're flying as fast as legally possible in the 860. Like they're, they're pulling full power and we're just, I mean, we're rolling. Winds are starting to pick up a little bit. I'm looking outside, there's 15 foot waves. You know, I'm like, okay, cool, cool. It's also 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. So it's starting to get dark. And I was like, all right, cool. And, and there are things that are going through my head of like, I, I don't need, it hasn't even dawned on me that, by the way, I'm going into the water to get 26 people. It's just, we have to pick up 26 people. Like, yeah. where are we going to put them? <laughs> <laughs> so we start to get closer. Um, we start to hear vessels that are on scene. There are three Good Samaritan vessels. I apologize. I don't remember the name of them, but we know that they're on scene because they're like, it's fully engulfed in flames and we are on scene searching for people. And I was like, holy cow. So and you can just... you hear these yes. people now? Yeah, because now it's all on channel 16, which is an emergency channel. Okay. And we're listening to 16. So um, as you start hearing all this stuff, you're like, holy cow. And I remember, I remember getting to a point where we started to see what was really going on. And for whatever reason, I remember Melissa and Kendall kind of been like, wow, there it is. Like a, a kind of an aha moment, like, oh. But for them, they were so professional with how they portrayed it over the ICS. They're like, all right, boys. We've got it in sight, you know, and it was like, you can't see it. Yet. Not at the moment. Uh, it was like, okay, we, we are close to being on scene where we have visual contact of the ship. But what we actually saw as we got closer, cause Mike and I would, we crawled up to the front of the aircraft so we can look out the front of the aircraft. All you see is like this black smoke rolling across the ocean and the smoke was sea level. It wasn't going up because the winds were, were just taking it. And it was just this black, thick smoke running across the ocean. And you're like, holy shit. We start to get closer on scene. And um, we start briefing about what we're going to do. And we want to fly over the vessel to see what's going on and if anybody's on it. And then as we fly by it, you know, we're doing a wind calculations. We're listening to all the ships on scene. Um, Who's doing the wind calculations? It's all aircraft stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, aircraft, you know, doing Again, I apologize no, for... You're good. you're good. I appreciate that. Uh, so as we, as we come over the top and we actually come on at 16 and we've said, all right, Coast Guard's on scene. Coast Guard's going to take over the call. We fly over the ship, and I look down, cabin door is open at this point, and we see three guys standing on the stern of the ship, and three guys standing on the bow of the ship. And I know the award says five, I'll get into that in a sec. Mike and I wave to let them know that we see them on the ship, and we fly over to the raft, because we see the raft with a bunch of people in it. Uh, they're all waving, and I'm, Kind of little spoiler alert, I learned later we actually flew over two people in the water and never saw them. Uh, they were picked up later from a Good Samaritan vessel, but from what I understand, I believe they were in the water for almost an hour. Uh, you know, survival suits, they were in survival suits, thank God. But, you know, basically when that, when we, again, we, we got so fixated on the, on the ship on fire. And when I tell you a ship is on fire, 
it was engulfed in flames from stern to bow, bow to stern, left to right, port to starboard. The whole thing was in flames and flames were coming out of the windows. It was coming out of the, the deck. It, it was flames everywhere. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, so we flew over the raft. We, the, or Melissa and Kendall radioed down to the Good Samaritan vessels and they said, we want you guys to go pick everybody up on the raft. Just take care of them. So we're going to go take care of the people on the ship. So now we have, we know 20 people are in the water, but we know six people are standing on a frying pan right now and we have to get them off. So as we pull into a hover, we pull into a hover over the stern. And I remember specifically looking at them because none of the three guys that were standing on the stern had a survival suit on. There was a dude in sweatpants and, and sweatshirt. And what I remember about that specifically is like, like the, if they go into the water, the water's, you know, 33 degrees. It's, I mean, it was just above the freezing. Sea. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, for all my imperial or my metric friends, it's like one, you know, the water temperature was cold one degree. Uh, and, it was like, okay, let's let's get into our rec rescue checklist, nose into the wind, and Mike start sending the basket down. We're gonna start trying to put it on the on the vessel. Now the vessel was going so the port and starboard side of the vessel, left and right, was um, parallel to the waves. So the boat was tipping left and right with the the waves. It was, and again, we're we're in fifteen to twenty foot waves right now closer to 20 because I remember leaving and they were bigger than 20 feet when we left scene. So the boat is pitching and rolling, pitching and rolling. Mike's trying to get the basket on deck, pitching and rolling. There's a cable that's connected from a tower or a mast down to the back. So we're trying not to get the basket caught up in the cable and we're trying to get and they're trying to catch it. And you've got Melissa flying left seat, or I'm sorry, right seat. And no, I'm sorry, flip that. Kendall's flying left seat, Melissa's flying right seat, and Kendall's trying to do the hoist in the left seat based on where the winds were going. And we just, we were coming over the ship and it was at one moment in time that we had come over the ship. I'm looking underneath, watching Mike hoist, and it was like a an explosion and a Roman candle came out of the 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 floor of the ship the roof of the ship the top part exactly where we were flying over and i can't tell you how big that flame was but i remember seeing the boom the flame come out and yelling abort 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 break right break right break right and and that's you felt the aircraft tip to the right and move to the right and i specifically remember um Melissa and Kendall being like, whoa. And, you know, it says I volunteered to go in the water. I specifically remember seeing or listening to Melissa say, Quinny, get your gear on. You're going in the water. <laughs> I, I believe it was more of a direct order. I think whoever wrote this knew your personality and probably if they didn't know the full story, guessed that you would have volunteered. I'm in. I yeah, would assume yeah. you, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that too, that too. <laughs> But the biggest thing about that part of it is we did not want to get close enough to the ship because we didn't want the ship 
to, we didn't want an explosion to happen yeah. and take us out of the air as well because there goes a rescue asset and us. Right. You know, so we wanted to maintain a safe distance from the aircraft, but at least get close enough where we can get them. So now the brief turned into Jason's going to go into the water. When I get into the water, we're going to ask them to jump to me. You have to understand that this ship is not only 180 feet, it's also 50 feet off the water. At least 50 feet because there's, there's four to five stories that are outside of the water that they're standing on top of. Wow. And every floor underneath them is on fire. Everything. Um, so I, I said to, or you know, in our brief, I said, okay, as I'm going down, Mike, just stop halfway so I can have an opportunity to yell at them to jump to me. Yeah, okay, no problem. This is good. We got a good brief. We're going to get into it. I start to go down. I get about halfway and I'm yelling at them, jump to me, just jump one at a time as loud as I possibly can. Could they hear you? I hope so. Well, I, yes. Well, I'm because... saying you've got the helicopter, you've got the boat on fire. I'm sure it wasn't quiet. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I can't answer that. I, well, they, they, they jumped they one jumped. at a time. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, and I... One of the other things I remember is that um, when I got down to the water, you know, obviously the helicopter's at a certain distance away from the ship, and I disconnected, I'm okay, and I start taking off, uh, taking off after the ship. So I'm swimming as hard as I can to the ship. Once I get to the ship, uh, I'm looking at him saying, one guy jump, one guy jump. And you know, the award talks about the screws that were coming out of the water. So the screws were not turning. So let me emphasize that. The prop, was stopped like there was there was no there was there was nothing was moving but every wave that it would take like a catty mm -hmm. corner you would see the whole underneath part of the ship come out of the water and then boom slam back down into the trough of the next size as the wave went under and i remember looking at that like do not get sucked under do not get sucked under do not get sucked under because i i'm battling like getting sucked under and having to swim yeah. out. And I, that's one of the things that I remember very vividly. The other thing I remember very vividly about this case is I remember seeing the fire in all of the windows, like as you're looking at, and the paint on the outside of the ship would start to shrivel up, ignite, and then fall into the water wow. and go out. And I was like, that's a hot fire. Mm -hmm. So... Guy number one jumps to me. He's got a buoy tied around his waist. And like I told you, he's in sweatpants and a sweatshirt. I swim up to him. As soon as he hit the water, again, the water's cold. He takes that <gasps> deep yeah. breath of like, holy cow, it's cold water. I hit him, rotate, and I'm swimming away from the boat as fast as I possibly can because I don't want us to get sucked mm -hmm. in. And side note, I didn't know this at the time, but I, I was debriefed later by Melissa and Kendall they were actually yelling at me <laughs> in the aircraft. They're like, Jason, don't get that close. Not that close. Not that close. And obviously I can't hear them. I'm not on ICS. I, but they're like, they were legitimately concerned that I was getting too close to the ship. So anyway, I swim around. I so they're watching this in live action. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. Right there. Yeah. But yeah. I could see how that would be terrifying. Totally. Yeah. Um, I got to give mad props to Mike Simone right now because as soon as I had the victim... And I turned around and started swimming. He was already sending the basket down. I look up when I signaled ready for pickup. 
boom, the basket was halfway and then hit the water. And I dropped that guy in, signaled ready for pickup. That guy came out of the water. I kid you not, he was probably in the water for all of like three minutes. And I was like, yeah, that was well solid, right? So now one of the things that they teach us as a rescue swimmer is keep your eye on the basket as it's going up. Once it gets to the helicopter, then you can, you can move your eyes back to where you're going to go. Um, and that's in case the, something were to happen, the victim were to fall yeah. out, then I can go get him. If you don't know, yeah. all bad. So I watch the basket get to the helicopter. I turn around and that ship is 150 meters away from me. Ugh. Like it is far. <laughs> I was like, I got this. <laughs> I, can, I can swim 100, no problem. Boom, I take off. Do, 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 do. I look up. I haven't gained anything. Okay, one more time. Do, 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 do. Swim, 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 swim. I look up, I'm like, I'm not gaining on this. And I've got five more people to go. Let me back up for a second. I almost forgot this. While we were doing our pattern, one of the guys on the, on the uh, bow of the ship jumped off. And we were like, ah, we watched him jump off the ship. He had a survival suit on and stuff, but he jumped off. We we're like, we got to get the guy in the water. And then one of the boats said, we have the guy in the water. We'll get him as soon as, as he's swimming away. I was like, Roger that. Cool. So we actually didn't have to worry about him. So we okay. had five people on the ship now. So gosh, I almost forgot about that. <laughs> ah, silly guy. It was probably the smartest thing he could have done. <laughs> anyway. Well, not to ask another ridiculous question, but if the boats were close enough to pick these guys up, did they, were they, why didn't they all jump off? I know you said one only had sweatpants on. That was why. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, oh, there was only two guys that had survival suits on, on the ship. And the one guy jumped off. So I left one more guy with a survival suit. Mm -hmm. The other guys were just yeah. in regular street clothes or, okay. you know, sweatpants. You know, they had gotten to the top of the ship, but they couldn't get to the survival suits. Right. And, and they, you know, there was a question about, you know, yeah. So good question. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Because that's what we're there for. I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah. Get him out. Yeah. Get it, you know. Um, get him out of the water. I assumed that's why they didn't have their survival gear on. Yeah. They just couldn't get to it. True. Yeah. But. Anyway. So anyway, now it's 150 feet away from you. Yards. Oh. Yeah, yards. 150 yards. Yeah, it was, it was a ways. Not like super far, but far enough That's where you're like. That's pretty far. Yeah. So what'd you do? So I, what I did, I actually turned around to the helicopter. I gave an emergency pickup signal and um, they sent a hook down. And what I was trying to do, all I wanted was the helicopter's help to get me next to the yeah. ship again. So that we could basically leapfrog it. Well, when I got picked up, I gave like a, a level off signal about halfway up and I just pointed at the ship. And Mike didn't, he wasn't connecting what I was trying to do. So he brought me all the way up. He's like, dude, what are you trying to do? What do you, what do you want? I was like, I can't catch the ship. Like, it's going to take me everything. I'm going to burn out by the time I get to the ship. Just take me over there, put yeah. me in, and I'll get him. He's like, got it. So he drops me in. Next guy comes. Um, I think the award says the third guy we got rolled by the wave. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with that. Because that part I don't totally remember. It was the third. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then the second guy was no problem. Um, and I remember this specifically where he hit the water. I grabbed him. I turned around. And when I turned around, the basket was already in the water for me. I'm like, Mike is the man. 
So I dropped him into the basket, ready for pickup. Basket goes into the cabin. Hoistick is coming down. I connect. They send me over to the guy number three. I'm like, we're in sync now. We're mm -hmm. on a jive. We've got this down. We, we've figured it out. I get in the water. Guy number three jumps to me. As soon as he jumps to me, I grab him. I turn around. Basket's right there. I drop him in the basket. And when that happened... We got a little bit rolled, and I, I took a little bit of a breaker over our head, and it 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 kind of rolled us. And I say kind of rolled us because I remember holding the basket, taking the breaker from behind us, and this guy and me and the basket going, getting submerged underwater. When that happened, we twisted 180 degrees. Well, when we twisted 180 degrees, the guy was that was in the basket at the time he he tried to get out to get air well when he did that he the cable came like from where the connection point is at the top of the basket it went underneath the bales around his waist back through the bales and up to the helicopter and i remember staring at this thing like oh my god if the helicopter jerks or if we get another wave or it drops out from underneath us, this guy is going to get cut in half in front of me. Oh. I, and I was like, that's, yeah, that's not good. So I disconnect the cable from the basket. So the hoistick is now disconnected. I unroute it from around him. I have it from my right hand to my left hand. I go to reconnect to the basket and poof, the cable gets sucked right out of my hands. Douche. Again, we caught a wave, whatever it was, helicopter moved. Next thing I know this, now I'm sitting in the water with this guy. In a basket. In a basket, no hoist tuck, <laughs> boats on fire behind me. And I was like, holy shit. And I remember looking at him and I'm like, it's gonna be okay, guy. I'm gonna get you out of here. And he looked at me like calm and cool. He's like, I know. And I'm thinking like, we are so fucked right now. Because <laughs> why would it be easy? Right. That's why you train the way you train. Oh, yeah. No kidding. But I remember the the Mike trying to get me the hoist hook. It was a pain in the neck. Um, once he finally got it to me, I connected. Mm -hmm. and And that guy, he was going up. And I remember feeling so relieved mm -hmm. and at that point i'm like i need to take a break and i remember sitting back in the water and and just chilling and kind of regaining myself because i knew there were two more people mm -hmm. that i still needed to get um how do you sit back in the water and just chill i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was like doing like a you know like a backstroke uh, i'm just gonna do a leisure backstroke <laughs> it was just i was just chilling I was relaxing. I was trying to... For the average person, treading water is exhausting. For you, it's a break. <laughs> <laughs> that it was. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd say I was enjoying the moment, but it was just to collect myself. Because after, yeah. after looking at that guy's face, when he looked at me, and I was, you know, I said, hey, we're going to be okay. I'm going to get you out of here. And, and he just, and he looked at me. He was like, yeah, I know. The adrenaline scared to death i was i was so scared like i i that it was like you know i that's never happened to me in training before like this this is this is a little new 
thing for me at that moment in time. I mean, heck, I'm 20-something years old. Yeah. 24. 24. 24 years old. 24 years old doing this. You know, and yeah, anyway. Okay, so now we got two more people to get. Like it's, it's still game on. They still got to go. So we get back. I get back up to the aircraft. Now we're going to move to the bow of the ship because that's where the other two guys are. Same game plan. Um, I go into the water. Did he pick you back up to move you? Yeah, the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. So then I get picked back up. We go back over. Now I'm in the front of the ship or the bow of the ship. I get put in the water. And we have such a system. We know what's going on. We know what we're going to do. I get into the water, I swim up, and now I'm instead of looking at the, the screws, I'm looking at this anchor that is five times bigger than me, humongous, and I'm watching it slam into the waves, and I was like, oh my good lord, okay, don't get, don't get under the anchor, the anchor will crush you, that's not a good spot to be, but uh, at that point, the first guy jumped at me, and I, I hit him, I turned around, I and I remember swimming kind of up the wave. Basket gets dropped in. I put him in the basket, ready for pickup. And I'm thinking, I have one more guy to go. Mike's got this. And I just turn around and sprint after the ship. So it's like that last round. Mm -hmm. It's like, the okay, I've got one more to go. Mike's on point. I'm not going to worry about this guy falling out. I'm going to go after the ship. I take off after the ship. And I was like, go, jump, jump. This guy, his name is Captain Shoemaker. I was going to say, it's the captain. And he is the last one to leave the ship. And, uh, and I remember him hitting the water. He was in a survival suit. I wrapped him up, and I remember a big howl. Ah! And what, what I didn't know at the time is, again, we're taught in swimmer school to control our victims as mm -hmm. soon as we get them. So I went in and did a big like a big grab, big chest, cross, 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 chest control, carry. Bam, got him hard. He had like four broken ribs. Oh. So I just squeezed a bunch of broken ribs. He had burns all over his body. And his hands were burned. And again, I don't know that at the time, but, and I, and I well, remember. You're also dealing with 20 foot waves. Yes. So you need to hold on to him quite tight, I would assume. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you think? <laughs> Get away from the ship. So you know what? The ribs will heal. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, swimming up wave, up wave, down a wave. Swimming up a wave, swimming down a wave. Actually, it's more like swimming. You're staying in one spot as you swim kind of up the wave, and then you're trying to surf as swim as hard as you can back on the back side of the wave. And I remember that actually with Shoemaker because when I grabbed him, we're swimming up the wave, up the wave, and I remember the ship not really not moving away from the ship and i'm like come on because my legs at this point I'm, yeah. I'm tired and i can feel it and i'm like come on just get up get up get up and i get to the top of the wave and then it was like i'm swimming i'm done cruising down the backside, and you see that ship on the next wave just get that much farther in front of you or away from you and i was like okay i can relax a little bit let me get to the basket get captain shoemaker in the basket ready for pickup, and now everybody's off the ship. I'm gonna relax for a minute, again. Whew. Let me take a breath, take a breath, relax. Hoist up comes down, I connect, go right back up to the helicopter, I sit down, I look at Mike, I say, like, who's next?
I remember him saying to me, uh, we don't know yet. We don't know. We're asking. We're looking. Um, and I, I wasn't treating anybody yet. I remember seeing the guys, the, the five guys that were in the aircraft, you know, and yeah, it was, it was okay. It was okay. Like I got, I got pulled into the aircraft and I remember looking at everybody. And I was like, is anybody injured? And Captain Shoemaker's like, my hands are burned. So I reached into the pack and I grabbed some, we had some uh, burned gauze stuff that, you know, you could put all over. And so I was like, here, let me see your burns. I cut off his, his gloves on his suit. Um, and then I put some, some burn stuff on him. And then Mike is like, hey, we've got to get somebody. They're doing CPR on somebody down on deck. And I was like, okay. On the ship? On one of the ships. Oh, okay. Yeah. So on one of the Good Samaritan ships yep. that it picked up. They're doing CPR on one of the guys. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, the plan was just to hoist down the basket. Uh, they were going to load the, the victim into the basket. We were going to get him in the aircraft. And then we are just going to take him to St. Paul Island. That was our, that's where we were going. Um, we attached a couple tag lines together or... The trail lines, as the Coast Guard calls them, trail line goes down, gets on deck, basket goes in. Well, those guys, as they were doing CPR, part of it is they said, oh, we got a pulse back. And so we felt that we, we had to take them. Everybody else that they had picked up seemed to be okay, except mm -hmm. for him. We get him up uh, into the aircraft. And I remember it being very interesting because the guys on the ship had had literally tied him up in the basket and when I say that it was they, they didn't want him to fall out so they tied rope over the top of the basket so when we got up we kind of looked at it kind of funny it was like well that's weird and I, I remember having to get my knife out cut the rope um, to get him out and and this is like it's a weird thing because you've got five survivors in the aircraft and one of their friends is here and he's not responding I remember us dumping him out of the basket and laying him on the floor. And all he had was a shirt on. He had no other clothes on minus a shirt. And then I remember cutting up the middle of it and uh, checking a pulse. There was no pulse. I started doing CPR. And um, Mike, thank God Mike was there. Because our cabin was full, we had we had five other survivors in the aircraft. Um, and we're doing CPR. Well, it's 45 minutes to get back to St. Paul Island. And, and I'm cranking, I'm cranking on this guy's chest. I'm, I'm doing CPR, trying to get a pulse back, trying to get a pulse back. Um, I set Mike up with the uh, the BVM. That's a bag valve mask, for those that don't know. I didn't know, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he was he was doing rescue breathing for the, the victim, and, and we're doing our... Compressions to breathing rate, compressions to breathing rate, and I'm checking about every, every so many sets, you know, so many minutes as as best as I can, and I remember, I remember feeling a pulse. I'm like, all right, I got, I got a pulse back. I got a pulse. This is great. This is right. Mike, Mike, keep breathing for him. Keep breathing for him. You know, just keep going. And, and I'd check a little bit later, and, and the pulse would fade away. And I remember cranking on this guy for a while, and. uh you know, I remember also in the position I was in looking to my right and I had, you know, all of his friends and his crew members there. 
And I remember them looking at me like, you know, that's our, that's our buddy. And, and they knew I was going to do everything I could to help. And for a long time, for a long time, I didn't think I did enough. But I didn't know what else to do. I didn't have a pulse. You know, I had a whole bunch of survivors. I was exhausted. I remember sweat dripping out of my out of my helmet and coming down to my eyes. My eyes were burning from salt water. Burning bad too, I remember that. Um, I remember Kendall and, and Melissa just kind of, Jason, you're doing a great job. You know, I remember trying to yell at the guy, like, come on, man, get that pulse back. Come on, you can do it. So we, um, Mike and I did CPR for 45 minutes from, from location. We were starting to get out of fuel, so we had to leave, you know, and all the good Samaritan vessels said, hey, we, you know, we've got everybody out of the water, or we think we have everybody out of the water. They were doing all their counts. So we get back. We're on our way to St. Paul. We land in St. Paul. I'm cranking on the chest of this guy, and I remember the, the cabin door opening, and I remember seeing this guy. I don't know who he was. I don't know if he was a local ambulance guy. I don't know if, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't even tell you right now. But I remember seeing him and sitting back like, holy shit, I have help. And then he jumped on the chest and started compressions because I was just freaking smoked. Mm. Um, and then the gurney came over and they pulled him off and they, they got him on the gurney. And I remember, you know, helping everybody kind of get off the aircraft and I remember saying hey this is this is he's got burns over here and learning later that that was Captain Shoemaker um but that was you know we got back and and uh with that point we had been flying for almost another three and a half to four hours so it was two hours to get on scene uh give or take an hour to an hour and a half that we were on scene uh you know picking up the victims and then another 45 minutes to get to St. Paul when we landed, we were done. We like so in the Coast Guard. Once you hit six hours or more of flight time, you can't fly for X amount of hours. And off the top of my head, it was twelve. So we were grounded immediately. Um, I remember Will being right there, being like, "Quinny, what do you need?" Um, and I said, I told him, I was like, "I need, I need, we need a couple things for the EMT bag because I pulled some stuff out of there. You're, we're gonna need to refill it." And I, I. I couldn't tell you if we did or not right there because I know we had limited resources. And the only reason I remember Will being there is because a C-130, another H-60 from Kodiak Island was on their way to help us. The C-130 was on scene doing orbits around the top. They were dropping rafts to people that they they thought they saw in the water. Um, you know, and then there's another H-60 coming out of, like the pararescue guys were coming out of Anchorage. Like there was a lot of resources coming to this scene. And uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember looking at Will like, holy shit. Like, what the hell was that? And, and he just looked at me and was like, good job, dude. And then he took the aircraft and, and they went back out because there were other people out there. They wanted, there were people in them that were missing. There were people in the water, you know, the good, the Samaritan vessels, they're out searching and, but the case wasn't over. So the, but I couldn't do anything. Like our, our crew at that point was done. 
and the other crew got on the you know on the helicopter boom and they they start taking off and i remember at that point um the adrenaline was just freaking like through the roof for me uh, at one point, I had gotten a little hole in my dry suit, and I'm dumping water out of my one of the legs of my dry suit. <laughs> had no idea. I was like, oh. Um, immediately after that case, they loaded our entire crew on the C-130 and flew us back to Kodiak for a full debrief, SISM training, everything after that. But it was uh, nothing really hit me until way later. So now I've watched your. What TV show were you on? Like the History Channel. The Dangerous Jobs of Alaska. Is yeah. that what the episode was? Yeah. And you made a comment about hypothermia. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't uh, really. I mean, so I, it's kind of funny. Like, I love TV. Um, <laughs> I, I don't do remember. You like TV as much as you like cruise ships. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. <laughs> No, actually, what's funny is I, I don't actually remember being hypothermic on that case at all. But I remember, like, for that part of that episode, like, we were having a full discussion. And I had been hypothermic many times being in the water. Mm-hmm. You come out shivering and whatnot. And, but, yeah, I I don't I don't remember Not being. Not for that case. Uh, I don't remember being cold Not even all. with the hole in your dry suit? No, I just remember being wet and be like, that's weird. And actually, <laughs> it wasn't even until, like, a week later when I put it back on and jumped in the water, I was like, oh, shit, I got a, I got a hole in my suit. <laughs> no wonder I was wet. <laughs> oh, so. Ooh, yeah, that was uh, that was the fishing vessel Galaxy Rescue from my end. It was pretty gnarly. And before we move on to that case and the rest of your career, career and whatnot, um you have had the opportunity more recently to talk to Captain Shoemaker for the first time in nearly 20 years. Yeah, yeah, we we did. We actually connected and I, if everything works out, he'll be on this podcast like, and he'll tell his side of the story of us coming in. But what was kind of interesting is, um, you know, actually Olaf Lavelle and, and uh, George Cavallo, they talk about it, you know, their ghosts and stuff like that. And it's funny, like I, I didn't actually know I, I had any major issues from this um, until like little things would come up. Like the video on the History Channel, mm-hmm. no problem. I can watch that without yeah. any issue at all. It's, it's kind of funny and, and I, I laugh at it every time I see it because yeah, I remember being so cold. <laughs> Take a nice warm shower, do it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and But I remember... About a week and a half to two weeks after that case was over, standing in the shower at home and just breaking into tears. And I remember like, what is wrong with me? Um, and it, it, again, it, it wasn't until the, the high came came off. And it just, yeah, like for like 15 minutes, I'm just crying in the shower uncontrollably. I can't stop. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, what is wrong with you? Like, this is not... What are you crying for? Like, there's no, there's no reason for this. And I talk and to myself. Not that 2002 was that long ago when you think about it, but I feel like it was long enough ago that PTSD was not something that people talked about yet. I mean, they did, but not to the extent extent that they do today. Agreed. Yeah. 
So back then you're saying, what's wrong with me? Whereas now they would say, this is normal. Right. Oh, yeah, very much so. Well, the other part about it, like, and uh, mad props to, you know, Olaf and George. Like, they did ask me quite often. A mm-hmm. lot of the guys in the shop would say, hey, man, how are you doing? You doing all right? And I would talk about the case. They asked about it. We talked about it. And like, hey, you doing okay? You doing good? Like, for me, it was just nonchalant shop talk. Mm-hmm. You know, are you good? Oh, yeah, I'm good. I never told anybody I was crying in the shower. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't. But that's not our mentality. That wasn't like our mentality is tough guys. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't cry. We don't freaking cry. No, you don't talk about that. And now it's, I, I totally agree. It's frowned upon nowadays. Nowadays, I, I would tell everybody, talk about it, cry about it, let people know. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with, with SISM and that PTSD stuff. So. Well, and you were sent a YouTube video recently as well. I say recently, but it... A little while, yeah. Yes. A couple months ago. Six months ago. Yeah. And even though you've seen the History Channel Yeah, video, that was a new video. I hadn't seen that one. And that kind of got you a little bit. It did get me, yeah. I And I remember having to stop like partway through, like, ooh, I can't watch that. Like, it's still really raw. Um, again, 20 years ago. That's... that's uh, yeah. And then here, you know what? I'm, I'm telling everybody out there about this because I, I don't want them to go through the same thing I do. I mean, one, talk to somebody. And two, if you ever have that situation that I was in, you know, take it one step. It was controlled chaos. The whole thing was extremely chaotic. But yet we had maintained such a control level on our end. Control what you can control. Exactly. Get what, you know, do what you can do and, and, make the rescue so would you change anything about that day oh good question um that you could control obviously um because in the episode that we recorded on your first case you talked about like where you situated yourself in a corner which was the worst place you know stupid (laughs) i wouldn't call you that maybe inexperienced Okay, that was, but... an that was an inexperienced move. What about this case? Um, I, I don't think there's anything that could have been changed. Um, thinking back on everything, like we did, we did, we did everything right that we could have done. You know, it went from Kendall flying in the left seat to Melissa flying in the right seat to Mike having to do stuff you know, with his, his stuff, um, you know, I, obviously I wish I could have done more for the guy that we were doing CPR on, you know, he ended up passing away of like a body core temperature of like 80 degrees. He, he was, he was cold. Like they could not, they couldn't rewarm him. And they, from what I understand and what I was debriefed is they ended up doing CPR on that guy for like almost 12 hours Uh like they kept him alive for a long long time and then they finally said he's just we're not we he's not coming back so um yeah i don't i don't know if there would have been anything else that i would do different for that case i mean it was you know yeah no i i don't think so i think i think our, our crew did an amazing job and and I truly believe that any crew that could have gone out would have done the exact 
same amazing job. I, I really do believe that, you know, uh, it just so happened we, we were on duty and they said, hey, take the off going crew. Mm -hmm. So. Well, thank you but. for sharing your story with me and everybody who will listen to this. I think you're amazing. Uh, you're biased. <laughs> I would, uh, you know, probably. But if I was that guy in the water and you had me and you said it's going to be okay, I truly think I'd be the same way. You got me. Okay. I was praying for a miracle and I got you <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> you're not allowed to say that. We're on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, yeah. thanks for uh, thanks for taking as, my role. As somebody who does nothing for a profession like you all do, I'm so thankful that there are people like you in this world. Thanks. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. I, I dig it. I like it. I mean, I, I do love this job. I love everything about this job that we do. It is so much fun. I mean, you're, you're coming at it with the lens and everyone you interview comes at it with the lens of how can we help. Right. There's that other half. Think about those men and women, if there were women, on that boat and they didn't have someone coming to help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. That's deep. We. Yeah. <laughs> well done. I spent my week with, with nine and ten year olds. You know, I, I go a little deep on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I'm serious. So for everyone that's listening, you included, um, thank you. You're it takes welcome. a very special person to do what you guys do. <laughs> 20 foot waves, Bering Sea, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's good. It's good. The last part that we um, talked about heading um the direction that we would talk about heading into was just how this case set you up for the rest of your career, because you have a lot more things, a lot more cases that you've done that we're not going to get to today. But how did this case in particular set you up for your amazing career? Uh, another good question. We, so I think this one, when it came down, like after it was said and done, I was on such a high, like a high from it. Uh, it really, I took it everything else thereafter as like, oh, well, this is, this should be relatively easy. You know, um, I took it as like, hey, let's take our time, you know, take the chaos and control it and come down to, you know, just take our time. There's, there's no hurry. There's, we, we can't, I've, I've been in complete chaos. So, you know, it's being hoisted down to some guy on a mountain that was having a, chest pain or a shortness of breath was uh, okay i got you no right. problem you know we're not it's not a storm blowing sideways we're we're on the side of a mountain and i can help you you know um a lady that drove off a cliff and i'm going up to hiking up like hey what's going on and and you know we get her out and then people that get swept out of, out of you know off the beach and swept out and shore and like oh there they are okay get them go you know you know and understand how to start controlling that situation and that side of things. And that's that just comes with experience. And whether it's the training world into the real world or you have that real world experience that says, 
wow, that worked or didn't work. But I will tell you like all the training that I went through prior to that case solidified to me, it the training was worth it. Like that suck it up that I needed to get through training, that's why. Because at the end of that case, I didn't quit on that case. I didn't, I didn't walk away from that case. I didn't say no. There are five people that are alive because of our crew. I mean, that, that whole ship, it sunk. That ship's gone. They, they didn't recover that ship. So whether it exploded and sank, whether it just buckled and sank, we, we don't know. We were tracking it for a little while and then poof, it wasn't there. But there were five people that definitely survived because we did our job. The pilots flew incredibly. Mike hoisted phenomenally. I got put in the water. I did what I was trained to do. That's what set me up for everything else that I've ever done since then. And and I look at everything else. And I think there's a couple of cases that stand out to me where I was like, ooh, yeah. yeah. But for the most part, that case has been my biggest case that I've ever done. And it was gnarly. And I, I ooh, yeah, buddy, come on. <laughs> Well, I'm glad glad you have guardian angels on your side. Yeah, me too. So does my mom <laughs> and my dad. <laughs> God is good. Totally. Well, thanks, son. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page, at The Real Rescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.